You're listening to the weekly podcast by Forest Hill Church. Here you'll find a place to grow in your faith, get to know what the Bible's all about, and hear what it looks like to follow Christ. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest you, visit foresthill.org. If you're a parent, search for our new Forest Hill Parenting Podcast and subscribe to get new content tailored just for you. Rising third and fifth graders, Camp Rock looks like an awesome experience, and it most certainly is. So parents, if you've got kids that age, or you know parents that have kids that age, we encourage you to encourage them to go to the forestill.org website and sign them up for the experience and summer of their life. Thanks for coming. Very glad that every single one of you have come to Forest Hill Church at South Park Campus, which is one campus among six other, five other campuses. And so, especially if this is your first time or you're new to Forest Hill Church, it is an honor to be able to have you here. We are in the process of kind of winding down this series that we started in January. We're actually going to end it officially next week, A to B, identifying the fact that there is an intended desired destination we want to get to in areas of mental health or areas of our finance or areas of generosity. But to get to that place, you've got to take steps. You can't just long jump from where you are to that, that there are iterative steps. Today, we're going to talk about conflict, conflict resolution, something that all of us are aware of. And so let me start off by operating a formal survey, informal survey. Show of hands, how many of you would believe, would say, that for the most part, conflict, not resolution of conflict, but the presence of conflict, for the most part, you believe conflict is bad. How many of you would say that? Hands up, be proud of it. Okay, all right. How many of you say, for the most part, conflict is good? Can't get enough of it. Okay, conflict is good. So here's the, here's the thing, and that is the issue that we uh, deal with the prevalence of conflict in every aspect of our life. It's kind of baked into the human genome, in, in a sense, because of our separation from God. That's where it starts. As a matter of fact, the definition of conflict, for our personal purposes, interpersonal conflict, is happens and occurs with two people when their preferences their perspectives, their priorities, their values, their expectations are either in contradiction to somebody else or they're being threatened. When that happens, conflict results. We're not talking about simple disagreements. We're talking about something that's very significant that creates a division. The foundation of conflict really starts in our relationship with God. We were created to have this intimate relationship, but we stepped away from that. We rebelled against that. And so every aspect of conflict you see in our world starts with our separation and our rebellion, our conflict with God. And it manifests itself in a lot of different ways. As a matter of fact, have you seen conflict any place in your life this week or around you this week? No elbowing. We've seen conflict in our homes, in our relationships. We've seen conflicts in our families, between brothers and sisters and relatives. We've seen conflict in the marketplace. As a matter of fact, one person actually said that conflict in the marketplace is actually destroying the bottom line. We've seen conflict on a massive scale, maybe conflicts in our HOAs. Can I tell you that for me personally, one of the places I've seen one of the worst expressions of conflict took place this past week in the chamber hall of the House of Representatives during the President's State of the Union speech. Folks, that room is a microcosm of the conflict in our nation that divides all kinds of people. And here's the thing, it doesn't really matter what platform you may be after or what particular party you support, we all can agree that there is a significant issue of conflict in our world, in our nation, and our best leaders are either unwilling or incapable of being able to resolve it to the point to where there can actually be peace. And it is ravaging our country and our lives as well too. Did you realize that for people who do not resolve conflict really well, that the mortality rate is actually higher for those who don't resolve conflict well. Maybe part of the issue is also, maybe we think that we're actually doing conflict resolution better than we think that we are doing it. For instance, I love the story of a couple 
married 60 years, and they had a wonderful relationship. They loved each other very deeply. They had no secrets except for the fact that the wife had a shoebox. Contents of that were not disclosed, and she actually told her husband that she put that shoebox at the top of her closet in the bedroom closet. She says, don't look inside of it and don't ask about its contents. He agreed. And so that box stayed there for many years. He almost even forgot about it until she came down with an affliction, a disease that had a terminal prognosis to it. And in putting the affairs together, the husband remembered the box and said, you know, to his wife, do you think maybe we should talk about what's inside the box? And she said, yes. And so he brought the box from the closet in the bedroom to the hospital. And for the very first time, he opened the box and he was astonished with what he found there. He saw in the shoe box two crocheted dolls hand crochet dolls, and a roll of cash totaling about $95,000. Okay. He's like, what's, what's happening here? And she said, well, my grandmother gave me a piece of advice and said that if I, when I get married, if I come to a situation where there's an issue or a conflict, that I need to do everything I can to resolve and to work out that conflict. But if I can't work out the conflict, if it's not going to work out for us, then my grandmother said I need to stay silent, not say a thing about it, and instead crochet a doll. The husband began to be kind of overwhelmed because he realized that this woman for over 60 years with only two crocheted dolls, that must have meant that there was only two unresolved conversations in their entire 60 years of marriage. And he was just like, in himself, loving this woman even more and more. You're probably wondering about the cash. He said, what's, what, what's with the $95,000? And she said, well, yeah, for every conflict that we didn't resolve, I crocheted a doll, but then I took those dolls to the county fair and sold it for $5. Sometimes we're not as good at conflict resolution as we might think that we are. And can I tell you, I'm not immune to that also. I'm in the same kind of a boat. I mean, I've been a Christian for over 50 years. I've been in full-time ministry for over 30 years. I'm married to my, my late wife, Kathleen, for over 30 years. Raised two kids. And I went through all the issues of conflict resolution and counseling and being a counselor. And then I'm married to a different kind of woman, I may, who is an amazing mind in the area of business and finance and international finance. But we come to conflict resolution from two different perspectives. I'm talking about feelings. I'm talking about the significance of, uh, behind words. And she's looking at me like I've got two heads. Literally, that's what she says. I'm looking at her like she needs an upgrade or something like that because we come from two different perspectives. We're continuing. I'm still in school, folks. I am still in school learning about how to be able to do conflict. Would it surprise you to know that the issue of conflict resolution is still a problem in the church of Jesus Christ? I know, very much so. We, we still don't do really well at it. As a matter of fact, the context of that problem is what shows up in the, the letter of Paul to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians. This is a church in serious conflict. When Paul opens up that letter in chapter one and chapter two, he basically says, I know that there are divisions among you. I know that there's quarreling among you. I wish I could address you as mature people, but you're carnal, you're selfish. You've got this issue of, of hero worship. In other words, some of the divisions, they were worshiping personalities. There were issues related to their rituals of worship, the rituals of as far as chaos and communion. What should we be wearing? Foods offered to idols, idol sacrifice. There was also the issue of sexuality and the integrity in that that created a division and a conflict in the church. Conflict over marriage and singleness and the purpose of all of that. And so Paul is trying to help these Christians to understand how to be able to move forward as children of God in Christ through conflict to the place of peace. That's one of the reasons why he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For those of us that have been in church for a while, that particular chapter is called the love chapter. Usually shows up at weddings, usually gets stenciled on cups, cross-stitched into pillows. The love chapter, and here's the thing, 
Paul did not write 1 Corinthians for Hallmark or for Valentine's Day. He wrote that passage specifically within the context of people embroiled in conflict. And so I want to take a look at that passage today, and then I want to do something really kind of special. We'll talk about the passage later on, but I want to take a look at Paul's letter to the the Corinthians, this particular passage on what true love in the context of conflict looks like. This is our practice here at Forest Hill Church in the reverence of the reading of the word of God. If you are able, let me ask you to stand. We'll take a look at this very famous passage and now with a better context. As you hear it, think about the context of conflict that inspires the need for this passage. Here's what it says. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. Love is not Rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Love never ends. Here is the big idea I want to introduce to you. Keep this in your mind all throughout the rest of this message. We'll visit it later on. Here's the big idea. Conflict is a call to our becoming our better selves, our best selves, but also to building better relationships. Conflict is a call to becoming our best selves and building better relationships. We have the privilege here at Forest Hill Church to have an incredible team of pastoral counselors in our caring counseling department who have ministered to so many people, my life included, and I've asked a couple of them to come to the stage and help us to get, give us some tips on how to be able to move through the process of resolution and managing conflict well. Would you please welcome to the stage with me, Maria Brady and Darren Short. Please welcome them. You guys got some fans out there and such because... Oh, yeah. Yes, because you've been in front of these people as well, too. So thank you very much for all that you do for this congregation and for our community as well. You probably saw the show of hands of people who were judging between you know, good and bad, whether conflict is that way. We created some conflict right here. But speak into that, if you could, please. Is conflict good or is it bad? Um, well, it can be good or bad, but either way, conflict, conflict is a reality. It is something that we will all face if we haven't already, which I would be really surprised. Um, And even if we look at scripture, you know, in the first chapter of James, those first few verses, it doesn't say if we have trials and tribulations. It says whenever we do or when we do. So we know that it's a reality. Um, Whether we view it as good or bad really comes from how we were shaped by it. Um, So we all grew up in families and families deal with conflict in all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. It can be very assertive or aggressive, and that's where you might see abuse, or it can be very avoidant. So it can be, hey, we just had a conflict, but no one talks about it. Yeah. So it's just kind of avoided, and you just keep on moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of shapes how you view it and how you interact in conflict. So you could be very assertive or sometimes aggressive, or you can kind of withdraw and hold back. And I'm, I'm like that. I'm kind of withdrawing, and my husband is definitely the pursuer, and he comes at me like a bear sometimes. He's big as a bear right now, too. Um, but he pushes me to come and, and express, yeah. 
and I help him slow down and express. So we're all shaped by our families, and you know what? We don't fight over things we don't care about. So that's a really big deal. Um, It might seem insignificant. You know, it might be the peanut butter jar being left out on the counter, but there's meaning behind it because we're not going to fight over a peanut butter jar. But there's something behind that and some reason we fight for it. I heard one person say that in conflict, the thing is not the thing, that there's something, there's something exactly, else behind exactly. it. Exactly, exactly. Darren, anything else as far as conflict being good or bad? Yeah, I mean, I think um, so much of us, well, actually, even as we're talking about it, we're, t- we're talking about using the term conflict resolution. You know, as Maria just mentioned, like, we're always managing conflict. Okay. And so I think we just have to recognize that the context that we find ourselves in is one that we're, we've been birthed into conflict because of the broken world, right? Because of our own brokenness. And so um, we know we have an enemy that's raging and looking for, for way, places that he can uh, develop chaos and, you know, create and um, contention and divide. Yeah. Exactly. And so those are types of things I think we should be aware of. But I think, you know, to Maria's point, knowing um, what's happening for us, recognizing what we saw maybe modeled growing up. Okay. Um, we have to take some personal ownership over how we're conducting ourselves, how we're managing ourselves. So, But I think conflict ultimately can, can give birth to intimacy. It can create opportunity that we really grow in deeper connection with others. I don't know that we really believe that, that conflict can actually become a place where we can experience intimacy and grow in ourselves and a relationship. So rather than it being a good or bad, it's what it produces. What makes conflict good or bad is how it's being done. Exactly. Well, so explain to us, if we're, what, what makes us so bad at resolving conflict? What, what um, are well, some ultimately, of the it's sin, right? It's sin and fallenness. Mm-hmm. But really, there, there are several things. Um, one is that we become very reactive rather than responsive. Okay. So if you guys have gone to the doctor you know, for a physical, they check your reflexes, right? They hit your knee, you kick out. You don't think I have to lift my leg right? It's just a reflex. Yeah. So when we're reactive to conflict, we, it's just a reflex reaction that tends to be very defensive, whether that is I'm going to storm out of the room and be more withdrawn, or I'm going to attack and yell and scream or follow you around the house, okay. right? That's more of a pursuer. Um, so, you know, if we do that, you're not actually drawing close to the person to resolve it. You're really pushing each other okay. away. Okay. And that speaks to, you know, pr- the process of how we do it is way more important than the content. Okay. And that's a big barrier um, to effectively walking through it. If we, if we engage with one another in defensiveness, it's just gonna cause more pain. And it's also really not re- being respectful or honoring the other person. Okay. So those are you know, a couple of many different barriers. Any other thoughts, Darren, about yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, in the church, I would say we have uh, an interesting context. <laughs> not that I think everyone in the church does a bad job of it, but I think we have to be honest about the fact that sometimes grace has been used as an, a tactic to avoid conflict or to sweep things under the rug. How does that work? Like, grace? so... When, you know, when we think about, um, hey, somebody hurt me, something happened, like, hey, that was painful. I'm supposed to be a Jesus follower, and so I'm supposed to forgive. Yeah, there's that whole idea. What does that actually look like? I'm going to just not mention anything. Wow. You know, that's avoidance, right? right? So that's like one ditch, one trap that we can fall into. On the other side, you know, sometimes um, we've all been um, aware of certain, situa- certain situations or experiences maybe that, that you've had where truth was used as a weapon against you or it was abusive, and so that's really, that's really uh, the other dish that we want to be aware of is that, you know, um, truth is never meant to be used as an abusive tool, right? Yeah. Um, so those two things can really be things that we want to be mindful of as we walk through conflict. Speak a little bit about the fact that one of the reasons why we don't do it well is because we have fear, that we're afraid. 
Yeah, so, you know, fear, shame, um, these are the things that oftentimes create, um, you know, there's these beliefs, right? Beliefs that I'm going to be punished, beliefs that I'm going to be rejected, fear of those things, fear of being vulnerable as a result of that, right? Um, when it's hard to be vulnerable if you feel shame, um, if, yeah. if you're like, I can't be seen, um, I'm unlovable, those types of stories run through our minds. Those keep us hidden. Those keep, keep us at a distance from entering into relationship yeah. and, and, and creating connection with others, right? Because we're just, we're so overwhelmed by that. Okay. Uh, so I've heard, heard one pastor say that conflict is inevitable. Combat is optional. And so, quite frankly, we need to learn how to be able to manage and through conflict to make it t- towards a, the place of resolution, we hope. So let's, there's some steps. Uh, we can find these steps all over the Internet. Uh, counseling offices, I've used it. There's like a 10-step process. One of the first steps of being able to resolve conflict is to choose and select the right time and place to have the conversation. Sometimes here and now is not the right place. I'm discovering that as well, too, that I want to be my very best. And, of course, if I'm already hurt or tired, that that may not be the right time to have the conversation. And then after that, the next step is also to specify the problem, to define the problem or the issue specifically rather than bundle. Those are the first two steps. I'd love for you to speak into that if you would, please. Yeah, I mean, those are awesome uh, beginning points. I think there's even a pre-step to that. So and you're, that's, saying you're saying I'm wrong. I'm saying that you're wrong <laughs> with love. Conflict right there. <laughs> is that what we'll step outside in a minute. Yeah, so, so I think the pre-step is, is actually slowing down and, and gathering a sense of like, curiosity. Um, we, we refer to it in counseling as emotional attunement. Emotional, emotional attunement. attunement. Yeah, it's like an awareness of like, what is, what's happening with inside of me? What am I believing to be true? Um, and, and how is that maybe connected to how I'm behaving right now? Those are things that that first step, that pre-step, that's actually really important all through these steps. So I, while, while I would agree, yes, take some strategic time, set some t- time aside for that, you know, um, define the problem specifically. I think that once you have a sense of understanding and awareness about awareness, what's happening okay. from you, it's like, how am I going to share what I don't know, right, in a productive, healthy way, right? So taking some time for yourself to just to say, hey, what's going on? We have this experience in the church, we hear this a lot, that don't let the sun go down on your anger right? Things like that, which, you know, the principle is good. We don't want to avoid conflict like we're talking about, but, you know, sometimes it's helpful to kind of take a pause and say, what in the world is going on? What's happening for me? Is that something you only do when you're into uh, approaching conflict? You take that awareness? I was going to chime in and say, you know, um, you, you do that before, ideally, right? Even before conflict. Before conflict, because it's really understanding how am I wired? Like, how do I generally respond to conflict of any kind, right? Um, as I mentioned before, I tend to be a, a withdrawer in conflict. I never knew that about myself because I'm pretty driven. I'm pretty um, kind of, I push myself. And I didn't know that until I got to grad school. And you have to do all that stuff. You have to figure yourself out. But it's been really helpful because I know what I do and it's not effective. Actually, a withdrawer leads more to detachment and losing a relationship because you de- disconnect. Mm. So it's good to be aware, and some of that awareness is so much more helpful to have before because then you can push yourself uh, to be more Christ-like in the, in okay. the conflict Sometimes itself. that also helps in being able to understand what the specific issues are. Exactly. You want to say yeah, and so, so, you know, what's so powerful about this principle of, like, slowing down, being aware of what's happening for you is that your, your perspective is so much larger. And then we can start to, to kind of move into this principle of, like, understanding is, more, is actually our goal, not getting to agreement. Say that again, please. Yeah, so understanding 
not agreement is the, is goal, the goal, right? And gr- agreement, working towards agreement is an inferior goal. It's not, it's not a bad goal. It's not a bad but goal. It's, but it's not as important as understanding. Exactly. And, you know, Maria and I have talked quite, about the, uh, quite a lot about this in the past is that when a couple does a good job or, or two people do a good job of cultivating understanding, talking about what's really happening, the real problem, yeah. right, which may Specific. not be the issue, right, this is more about process, um, then the finding solutions and getting to a place of repair and having, you know, kind of a creative mindset about how, how should we do things moving forward, it's so much easier when you've done the understanding work. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that requires empathy and a sense of courage, right? Because it's not easy to be vulnerable, right? Empathy and courage. Empathy and courage. Yeah. yeah, like, you know, if we're honest, we all, you know, some of us love the idea of like, oh, well, it's good to be vulnerable. You know, like Brene Brown is somebody who's really brought this into the forefront of, of it's actually courageous to be vulnerable, but it still is hard when the rubber meets the road, when, when you show up to be vulnerable and kind of crack open your own heart to say, this is what's happening for me. Yeah. I don't know what might be happening for you. Like that takes courage. That takes strength. We need the Lord to help us in that process. Which, which brings us to the third step, and that is to engage with vulnerability and respect. Yeah, I mean, that he's kind of set that up so well, you know. Um, in order to make sure the, the content gets resolved, we have to say, okay, what's happening in us, and can we be curious to understand the other person, right? Can we slow down and really say, okay, I'm being defensive, but what's, what's the underbelly? Yeah. And that typically is something much softer, whether it's hurt or feeling alone or left. But if we don't approach and we don't have curiosity, then, then you kind of you know, go back and forth in that defensiveness. Especially if we're reactive. Right? Exactly. It offers us an opportunity to respond effectively and actually really more specifically, right? Because we're really getting to the underbelly. Right. Um, and we have to make sure we lead with respect, right? Like we, we can't lead any other way because we have to honor the person that we're kind of battling with because right. we don't want to be battling. Right. But if we battle, it's not going to go well. Right. Very good. Then we get to the next step, and that is is that we need to be prepared to take responsibility where possible. Speak to that one. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give a personal example because I'm still in process right alongside everyone else. Is um, So just last week, this was before church. Uh, funny how that happens. Before is, church. Before church. Yeah. So um, my wife and I were having this conversation, and I started to recognize that there's a tone of defensiveness. Like, I'm starting to get defensive about, you know, what we're talking about. And... Um, I recognized that I was able to slow myself down enough and just say, hey, I'm being defensive right now. I just want to like name that. And it actually shifted the whole conversation, right? So that's a kind of a step of awareness of that process, but mm-hmm. then moving into vulnerability and really me taking ownership over like how I'm behaving, how I'm treating my wife, right? Um, and so, so that like personal responsibility is huge, right? It's easy to just put blame on the other person right. or to put blame on another cir- circumstance or situation. But like we have to take ownership and manage ourselves. Even if it's something that's not intended. I've had situations where I've said something it had an unintended effect. And rather than saying to my wife, well, you just need to get over that. I realized, wait, it came out of my mouth. I got to own the fact that that created a situation. Kind of landed wrong. Right? Landed I talk wrong. all about like something may come out of our mouth with an intention, but it may land yeah. completely differently depending on what's going on for the other person. Yeah, very much so. So then we move into the next part. That first stage was kind of like the process yeah, stage. Yeah, the process. Of now it. we move towards the content stage. Um, but before we do that, you speak a little bit about the awareness that sometimes, even though you may set the right time and place, that you may still need to set the right time and place, even while you're having the conversation, to take a break. Yeah, so, you know, when we talk about this emotional experience that we could be having, right, 
it, you may continue to have moments where you're flooded. Like, you know, this may not be like a one conversation. Hey, we did some conflict work. Great, we're good. You know, everything's, you know, easy peasy, lemon squeezy, right? <laughs> and in reality, this may be a process of several conversations that you have. To resolve one to particular To resolve issue. one particular thing, right. right? But if the goal is still understanding, not getting to a place of agreement, even though I think agreement can be found, right? The, what happens is anxiety is lowered in the relationship. And if the, if the priority is protecting this connection that you have with the other person, yeah. right, creativity just begins to blossom. Like, you know, God, like, like options just are cultivated yeah. in that space. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and I would add to that, you know, in that time, we also are continuing to try to get healthy perspective. And that may be, okay, Lord, show me the truth here. Show me my junk and maybe theirs as well. Yeah. And, you know, even if you don't know the Lord, like, have a safe person that you can be fully Process vulnerable over. with, mm-hmm, right. that they can give you good feedback. And, and safe means emotionally safe, mm-hmm. that someone won't shame you um, or judge you, right. but will, will speak kindness to you and hard stuff in a kind way. Okay, so then we go to the process and we're having the conversation to brainstorm all possible solutions. Speak about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, like, you know, there's so much creativity when the anxiety is lowered. And so I think there's the majority of things in our life that we have conflict over. I think a lot of times they're just unintended conflict, right? They're just misunderstandings. So when understanding is found, then a lot of times the, those solutions just begin to say, hey, let's try this. Okay. Let's, let's, that's, a good, that's a good idea. Or let's, hey, we, we don't know if this is the best way, but at least we're gonna explore it. Give each other the, the grace and compassion to try something. And if it doesn't work, you can always circle around and say, hey, that wasn't working. Let's try something else or let's try that other idea that you might have had. Marie, connect that to the next step from brainstorming to actually coming up and selecting one particular solution actually put into practice. Yeah, I mean, you know, like he said, when, when you're safe and you have uh, the ability to come up with solutions, pick one. Pick one, try it, and then evaluate it. Did it work? Did it not work? Maybe we need to do something different next time. But, you know, as if you feel safe with the other person, then you can pick a solution that may not work and just go back to a different one that you had on your list. So that's the last, that's the last step, and that is to reevaluate. Right, right. To see if it worked or not. But mm-hmm. if it does work, what do you do? Celebrate. You celebrate. Celebrate yeah. the daylights out of it. That's great. Especially if the process of it was done in a healthy way. You're not just celebrating, hey, we resolved this content. Man, we grew in our relationship. Yeah. It was a redeeming process. It was a process of intimacy. Um, and that is really hard. Yeah. It is really hard to do, but it, it's really great when it happens. I want to underscore that, that when we are able to resolve a conflict properly, celebrate that. We need to affirm ourselves for the things that we do really well. And so that means, you know, special dinner or a special outing or something really special that says, we did it, we did it. We are something and it's different. a team. It's a team, it's exactly a team. right. Before you leave, any, any other thing that you'd love to be able to share from your heart for us to encourage us in this process of managing conflict? Yeah, I mean, something that is very personal to me is um, sometimes conflict cannot get resolved, whether it can't get resolved right now or it may never get resolved. Um, And that may be because someone is unsafe or unwilling. You know, we're called to forgive and reconcile, right? But reconciliation takes both people taking ownership. And that's really hard when the other person isn't willing to engage. You know, but, but something to hold on to in that time is we do have to petition and wrestle with the Lord for it. Uh, and hope, because we know that some of our prayers and struggles will be answered here on earth, yes. um, but some may not. But end of the day, the cross already happened, right? Sin will not win, because Jesus already has. So all will get redeemed, all will get reconciled. 
you know, when we, when we reach heaven. But it's just really wrestling with the Lord and saying, okay, help me be present and wait and experience perseverance in a healthy way um, while I'm waiting for that conflict to be resolved. Yeah, I would say slower is better. <laughs> slower is actually faster. Um, if, if you can kind of, you know, conceptualize that. It's like when we move slower into this process, it should feel like work. <laughs> it should feel like, hey, I'm setting aside energy and intention to do this. Um, that's actually, you know, you're probably on the right path, you know, of doing something well if you can kind of move slowly through that. So it should feel like work. This is work. Um, and the other thing is just knowing that perfect love casts out all fear, yeah. you know. Uh, that's um, the enemy of fear is, excuse me, the enemy of love is fear, right? And so we want to make sure that we're, we're confronting fear where it pops up in our life. That may be in your unique story, what fear looks like. Um, just acknowledge that and know that, the, you know, we have a God who is with us in every circumstance, every situation, even in the broken ones in our life. And so Maria talked about wrestling. Wrestling is something that is like, it's an, um, it's an indicator of faith, when you can show up and continue this, this contending, this wrestling process for the areas that still feel broken in your life, whether it's with, between you and a family member, you and a friend, right? Um, you and a coworker, it doesn't matter. If you can show up and continue to contend, that actually is an indicator of God's uh, work of faith that he's doing in us. I cannot tell you how grateful I am to the work that the Karen Counseling is doing in my life and the lives of members of this community. So thank you. Would you please thank Maria and Darren for the time with us? Appreciate it, guys. Awesome. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King said that man must evolve for all human effort a method that rejects revenge aggression and retaliation. And this is said by a person who also said that the foundation of that kind of love, that kind of method has got to be true love. Giving his life to making sure that he addressed the issues that dealt with systemic racism and inequality across the races in our country, but also the fact that even though we could say that we've come a long way, we still have a long way to go, not just in racial inequality, but in socioeconomic, gender, all kinds of issues that create conflict. But what inspired Martin Luther King and all like him it's not something that comes out of cultural love from, from humanity, but biblical love, the true love that we see inspired in the scripture, especially as we took a look at this passage of 1 Corinthians 13. So I kind of want to read back through the passage a little slower and kind of amplify aspects of that. Again, Paul writing to these people in the context of conflict. He says, love is patient. The word there for patient is long-suffering. We don't like to suffer, and we sure don't like to suffer long, but true love has a long-suffering aspect for the benefit of the other. That love is kind, it's useful, it seeks to, and is willing to be able to be helpful. One of the most practical ways of being able to be loving and long-suffering is through the practice and the art of listening. Making sure that the other person has an opportunity to express their side and themselves as well. Love does not envy, it refuses to be jealous. It's not boastful or arrogant, doesn't brag about its own achievements, it's not inflating its own importance. That love is not rude. It does not traffic in shame and disrespect. Love is not self-seeking, selfishly looking towards its own honor. Love is not irritable or quick to respond or to react. They have very high tolerance but a very low boiling point. I love this one. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. In other words, true love, not ours, but true love is always ready and willing to bury the offense and not the offender. 
Love also does not rejoice, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, no delight in what is not right and what is not true, but rejoices in the truth. That true love celebrates honesty. It bears all things. I love this phrase, that true love is a safe place of shelter. It believes all things. It never stops believing the best for someone else or for others. It hopes all things, endures all things. Love never takes failure as a defeat, and love never quits. It never gives up. Love never ends. Folks, that kind of love is absolutely necessary within the context of our life. It's not something that you get off a card or off a pillow. It's this kind of true love that humanity is desperately in need of. This kind of love is a tough, beautiful, redeeming, restoring kind of love that requires courage, character, and commitment. And quite frankly, we don't generate that kind of love on our own. As a matter of fact, when you take a look at that love, who does that resemble? Jesus. That's the context of how he came and what he did. This God-man who entered into the conflict between mankind and humanity and gave everything he had to erase that barrier of hostility and establish a pathway that we can experience peace and serenity and mutual intimacy with an almighty and holy God. And Jesus is the one who empowers that love. It's one of the reasons why he commands it. Because folks, on our best days, we're, we're, we probably wouldn't want to live that kind of life or experience that kind, or give that kind of love, which is why this kind of love requires a readjustment of our will, not just a change of our circumstances. It's that kind of love that comes from us, that's empowered by Christ in us that enables us to do something even beyond our preferences or our comfort. He's the one who commands us that we should be kind to one another, compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave us. Can I go ahead and let you know my weakness in conflict resolution? My weakness in the process is amnesia. I forget who I am or the problem becomes so magnified, I forget who Christ is in me and who I am in Christ. I forget in that place that I am dearly loved by God. I am precious to God and so is that other person. So here's a choice. When we deal with conflict, we have a choice of which filter we want to be able to look through. We can either look through the filter and the lens of the conflict. And whenever we do, we always have a distorted view of ourselves, of that other person, and maybe even of God. If we look through the lens of conflict, the result is not going to be a healthy one. But if this is what I try to do, I'm still working at it, that in the midst of conflict, I want to look through the lens of the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ at that place where he did what I didn't ask for and what I didn't deserve to give me more than I ever deserved. That his sacrifice, willing and loving, is the example that inspires my responses to people in the midst of conflict. As a matter of fact, here, here's the thing. Whatever the conflict is, whatever side you're on, whether you're right or wrong, here's the, here's the issue. You, in the midst of that conflict, you are dearly loved by God. You are dearly, you are cherished, you are prized by God. Even if you are in the wrong, God still loves you. But here's the issue. The same thing applies to that other person as well. God dearly loves the other side, even if they are wrong. And it's that kind of love from him that inspires us to see them through the reality of the fact that they really are not our enemy. There's another enemy 
but that God is doing a work in us. And even if we can't resolve that situation, that God is doing something to solve us. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, apparently some of those issues he, that he was dealing with in the first letter were resolved. And what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he reminds them that they are new creatures. In Christ, all things are new. All the old things have passed away. Everything else has become new. And he also says that it's the love of Christ. For those of us who follow Jesus, it's the love of Christ that compels us, that constrains us. As a matter of fact, we become so brand new that rather than being victims of our own bad decisions and of the rebellion, that we are now victorious and that Christ has given to his followers the message and the ministry of reconciliation. That we are also made not only to be reconciled to God, but people through whom God performs his reconciliation in our homes, in our marriages, in our room, with our roommate, in our workplaces, to the best of our ability, in our relationships, in such a way that through us, people should be able to come in contact with the greater hope that there is in the love of Christ for them. That we are ambassadors of peace, ambassadors of reconciliation. So here the thing again is that conflict is a call for us to become our best selves in Christ, but also to build better relationships. But folks, that call has to be answered. That when conflict comes up, rather than running another direction, or rather than running into it in a destructive manner, that conflict is an actual call. We have to answer that call with a will to say, Jesus, okay, I'm seeing the situation. Help me. I want to be the kind of person in this situation that reflects your love, your life, in me. Because as we do, and by the way, it is a process. It ain't easy. It's a process. I'm still on that journey as well too of becoming a better person, a best self, and to build better relationships as an ambassador who is answering the call of Christ to become, under the reign of the Prince of Peace, a peacemaker as well. To the best of his ability in you. For the glory of God. Amen? Oh, I pray so. As a matter of fact, let's pray about that right now, shall we? Heavenly Father, we are, acknowledge that both in our own world, in our own life, there are stuff that's unresolved. And I pray right now, God, that in a room like this, I know that there are people who are embroiled in severe conflict. Hearts in this room may be broken as to what's taking place in their marriages, in their families, in their relationships, in their businesses. Father, we pray that you would convey and transfer your peace and your power to open lives, bruised and broken lives, and that you'd bring the ministry of reconciliation to each of us that are right now dealing with conflict that's unresolved. But even more than that, that Lord, you would also allow us to be conduits through which peace can reign and, and can be transferred to those that are around us. There's so much strife in our world and you have sent us into the world as those who know you and who you go before and who you inhabit. So Father, do that work, we pray. I pray right now that if there's someone here who has never yet entered into a relationship with you, they've not yet acknowledged that their sin is separating them, that the way that they do life, their self-centeredness is keeping them from you, but that Jesus Christ through his death and his resurrection 
offers them not only just a new life, but new power and resources to become everything you designed us to be as we follow you. So I pray that even today, they would surrender themselves, that for all of us at God, forever, how long we've known you, that we would surrender ourselves completely to your life and your power in us that establishes us with peace with God. Do that work, we pray, as we learn to trust in your presence, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.